Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If we, thank you, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin. I serve on our ministry team here at Mount Hope. It's wonderful to be with you in worship this morning. Today is a special Sunday. It's Family Sunday here at Mount Hope. Now, normally, and especially if you're visiting with us for the first time, this might seem a little different for you as well. But normally, we would have our children go off into children's church this morning. But today, especially as our children are beginning a school year, and especially as we wanted to make sure we have an opportunity to honor our volunteers who work tirelessly in kids' ministry, to make sure that they have a chance to be in worship with us today, we're going to have a Family Sunday, an opportunity for all of us to be in worship together. So it might get a little bit louder than normal. It might get a little bit more distracting, but I promise you it's worse for me than it is for you. So it's okay. We'll get through this together. And to top it all off, immediately after service today, kids, you ready for this? There will be an ice cream truck in front of church. Wow. Imagine you could get that excited for the gospel too. That would be amazing. So make sure you stick around for serv- right after service as well and enjoy some ice cream and more importantly, fellowship with one another, get to know one another, spend some time together as well. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know we've been in this sermon series called Go and Do Likewise, where we've been going through the parables of Jesus, these stories he tells in the Gospel of Luke, where he's connecting a real situation to the lives of the people that are living at that time. Now, this today will be our final Sunday in this sermon series, and next week we'll be beginning a very important sermon series that I hope all of you will be able to join us for, and I hope you'll invite some friends to join us for as well. We're going to be talking about the all-important topic of anxiety beginning next week. Our sermon series beginning next week will be this topic of be anxious for nothing and what the Bible has to say about anxiety. And so in order to prepare us as a preaching team to to prepare those messages, there's a favor that I'd like to ask of each one of you that is sitting here today. In a second, a phone number is going to appear on this screen, and I'd love for you to text anonymously to this number, a simple response to a simple question. The question is, what causes you anxiety? If you want to take a second even right now to go ahead and do that, you're welcome to do that. The number, if you're not able to see it, is 617-826-9742. And all we ask that you do, you don't have to leave your name. Just give us your age and something that causes you anxiety. We'd love to include some of these responses in our messages over these next couple of weeks as well. And as soon as you're done with that, if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you, this morning we'll be in Luke chapter 18, the gospel of Luke chapter 18, and we'll be reading verses 15 to 17. Luke chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. We read there like this. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you. 
Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How many of you kids received a jar of Play-Doh this morning? Can you hold it up real high for me? Here's an assignment that I'd love for you to do this week with your Play-Doh. I want you to go home and I want you to make a heart out of your Play-Doh. This is the best I could do, which clearly is not very good. I'd love for you to make a heart out of your Play-Doh. And throughout the week, what I'd love for you to do is find a place near the exit that you walk out of every morning to go to school. So find any place. Maybe it's a front door and there's a little closet right there. There's a little shelf right there. Find a place to put this heart. And here's my challenge to you kids. My challenge is for you to pray every morning before you go to school. To spend one or two minutes and to pray and talk to your Lord Jesus before you go to school every morning. Now, the heart is going to be there as a reminder that I have to do this or I need to do this before I leave for the day. Why am I saying this? Jesus says like this in this passage, let the children come to me. Let them come to me. And every morning, my challenge to you, now adults, you can do this too, and I hope you do. But to the children is to make sure that you spend a minute or two in prayer before you go to school every single day. How many of you feel like you can do this? Yeah, can you do this? Good. I would love to hear from you at the end of the school year. And I'll ask some of your parents too. I'd love to hear from you. Were you able to do this every single day? I'll tell you, if you want to know one of the secrets to success in all of life, it's coming to Jesus every day. And that's what this reminder is there for you to have every single day as well, that I will bring my heart to Jesus every single day. I hope that you can keep that challenge, and I'm going to check in on you guys and make sure that you're able to complete it by the end of the school year as well. So when we come to this passage of Scripture... The passage that many of us are familiar with, this passage of Jesus sitting down with children. It's this beautiful image that we often see in cartoons and in children's Bibles of Jesus sitting there with these beautiful little children coming to him. And he's telling everyone else, let them come to me. But sometimes we can miss the greater context of what's going on, especially because of the world we live in, the society and the culture we live in. Let's be honest, we live in, for the most part, a culture that values children, that treasures children. In fact, throughout this week, you are likely to see hundreds of photos of children going off to school. And you're likely to click like or love on many of these pictures. Now, my question is, I'd love to see what the second day of school pictures look like. But those first day of school pictures look amazing. And everyone is posting these pictures. Why? Because we treasure our children, we love our children, we value our children, and so as a result, we'll post these photos treasuring them. But that's not the way it always was. In fact, in the time Jesus is saying this, he's living in the time of the Roman Empire where children were not treasured the way that they're treasured today. Children weren't highly prized. They were actually possessions. Children were just something you had until they could be useful, until they could return money to you or they could work and return a profit back to your family or an investment of some sort. They were not necessarily necessary. 
They were just something that was there. In fact, we see this throughout history. The Roman Empire is notorious for the way that they would treat children in a poor, poor way. Now, I won't go into all the details because our children are here, but it wasn't good. And that was the culture that Jesus walks into in a moment when the disciples are standing there and all these crowds are gathered around Jesus. And in the middle of the crowd, there are these parents bringing infants to Jesus, little babies they're bringing to Jesus. And they're saying to him, Jesus, touch my child, bless my child. And watching this, the disciples and those around Jesus are saying, no, he's important. He doesn't have time for this. Get your babies out of here. He has to talk to the adults. Why? Because adults had an importance that children didn't have in that culture. Why? Because adults could understand the law. They could debate the law. They could argue the law. And that was important in order to please God enough to go to one day to, one day go to heaven. It was important to know the law. A baby doesn't know the law. A baby can't argue the law. A baby doesn't know what law means. And so babies were considered nothing. They're not important in this moment. And that's when Jesus says to them, let the children come to me. And now there's a very specific reason for this. Throughout Luke chapter 18, we've been learning this big truth about Jesus and about what he's trying to say. We've studied every one of the parables in Luke chapter 18. Now, you might remember one of the parables was about a widow and a judge. Another parable was about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And throughout these passages, we've been learning something not just about Jesus who picks the underdog in every one of these tales, but we're learning something about a bigger idea called the kingdom of God. And Luke chapter 18 answers this question. Who does the kingdom of God belong to? Who does the kingdom of God belong to? Now the disciples and the Pharisees and the religious people thought religious people belong to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God belongs to religious people. In just a minute, you will see a rich man having an interaction with Jesus a little bit later from this passage. It was thought that if you were rich and powerful and religious, that means God and you had a tight connection. You were part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus comes and flips the entire script and he makes the widow the hero. He makes the children the hero. He makes a blind man a hero. He turns all of their assumptions upside down because he's saying to them, you've got it all wrong. I don't value those things. I value very different things. Let me ask you a question this morning. What's the most valuable thing in your home? Go ahead and think about it for a second. What's the most valuable thing in your home? Yeah, Ethan, do you want to answer that? Your dad? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Say it one more time. The people, in it. the people in it. Thank you for saying that. What a great answer that is. The <laughs> I did not tell him to say that. The, the people in it. Good. What else would you consider? Let's exclude the people. What else would you consider to be the most valuable thing in your house? Some of you might say some piece of technology, some piece of jewelry. Maybe there's something that's in your home that you would say is the most valuable thing in my house. 
For many years, I worked for a company that, uh, that produced uh, cameras, photography equipment, and printers, and all kinds of imaging equipment. And we would regularly do market research with our customers to try to figure out how do we reach them better. And one of the most important questions we would regularly ask them is, if you could remove something from your house, now let's just say it was a bad situation like a fire or something was going on. If you could remove one physical item, so let's assume all the family members are safe, the pets are safe, and the fire is very slow moving. Kids, please never go back and grab anything. Let's just say you could do that. What would you save? Now, the answers were amazing that we would get back in return. The most common answer that we would get back then was a simple one. Our photo albums. Now think about that for a second. Now today it doesn't make as much sense because it's digital, but back then it was our photo albums are the most valuable thing in our home that we would go back and rescue. Now if a, any other person was in that home, would they say the photo album was the most important thing in that house? No. In fact, if you look in my house, what I would say is the most valuable thing is I have a box in my closet filled with my children's drawings from when they were little. Because I know those are irreplaceable, they are valuable to me, so I keep them. Now, in the same way, Jesus is coming to these disciples and saying, what you think is valuable is not always what's valuable in the kingdom of God. And so he starts to flip the way we look at what's valuable in the kingdom of God. Let's read that passage of scripture one more time together. Let the children come to me. And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of a God like a child shall not enter it. This is Jesus. The same Jesus who would touch lepers, something that was unheard of in that society. The same Jesus who would go and sit and eat with tax collectors and sinners. The same Jesus who would hold babies in his lap and say, do not treat them like possessions, treat them like valued treasures. This same Jesus is saying, let the children come to me for to them belong the kingdom of God, for to such as these. Now I want us to be clear here. Jesus is not saying that heaven is filled with babies. That's not what he's saying. He's saying for to such as these belong the kingdom of God. So what does that mean then? You see, the kingdom of God is any place where God reigns. Whether it's in your heart today or in heaven for eternity, the kingdom of God is where God reigns. And so Jesus is saying the kingdom of God exists where there is the heart of a child present. Now what does the heart of a child, the heart of a baby look like? Now the question here is not, what does a baby have? The question is, what doesn't a baby have? What doesn't a baby bring to this equation? I think it's a great response that we're going we're gonna to start to see and unpack. Many of you have raised children. I see Mark here with little Xander in the back, who they just had a baby recently. Joseph is here, and I know Asinath is due in a couple of weeks as well. We're very excited about that. Babies come into our lives Babies come into our lives and they completely change our lives. They rock our worlds. They make everything different. 
But if you ask most parents, they wouldn't tell you that my child has the nature of goodness and that, that they're just always good and deserve to go to heaven because of how good they are. They'll tell you that they make my life miserable sometimes too. <laughs> Not you two, but everyone else. <laughs> they make my life hard. This is one of the things that we've got to understand. So when Jesus says... Let the children come to me, for to such as these belong the kingdom of God. We've got to understand what such as these mean. What is it about a baby that makes that baby so unique? It's, it's inability, not its ability. His or her inability is what makes a baby so unique. A baby doesn't bring anything extra. A baby doesn't assume that they are trustworthy and dependent. In fact, one of the most important things about a baby is that they just trust and are dependent on someone else. So when Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, he's not talking to religious people who assume that I'm bringing everything to the table and God is going to honor everything I bring to the table. He's talking to everyone and saying, unless you become like a baby who believes that salvation only comes through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who believes wholly that trust and dependence only through Christ would be cause for my salvation. Only then can you enter the kingdom of God. There has to be full trust and full dependence on Jesus and his work. It's this complete trust. If you've ever seen a baby or a child, a toddler, at a pool with their parent, the parent could be in the water and the child could be on the ledge of the water and the parent could just say jump. And what does the child do? Jumps. Because there's this incredible sense of trust that the person in the water is worthy of trust. And Jesus is saying, if you want to come to me, this is what your life has to look like. You have to believe that I am worthy of trust, that I am worthy to be dependent upon. And I got to be honest, so often I resist God as an adult because I think like an adult. I assume that I already know, God, what's the best way to do things. I just need you as my backup plan in case things don't work out. Lord, I already know how to run my life. I already know how to run my family, my finances, my job. Everything about my life, I already know. I just need you to be there in case things don't go right. That's not the way a baby thinks, though. A baby fully trusts in his or her parent. And this morning, I want to ask you this question. Where are you resisting God and trusting yourself? Because the kingdom of God is for those who trust God with all their hearts, who say, Jesus, my life is yours. And for our children in the room this morning, maybe you've never made that decision in your own life to put your trust fully in Jesus. But that opportunity always exists. I'd love for you to come and see one of our leaders here at church or see Mrs. D'Agostino and they can help us. We can walk through that decision and that process together. But we've got to come to a place where we're saying, where am I resisting God and trusting myself? 
once you get the answer to that question, you'll start to figure out where are those places where I don't have trust in the Lord that I should have. Trust and dependence are one of the hallmarks of a child. Now, what else is so unique about a child that Jesus would say the kingdom of God belongs to such as these? There's something very shapeable about a child. They have soft hearts. That children can be molded. That babies can be shaped. I was born in New Jersey and, I'm sorry, in New York, and I lived in New Jersey most of my life. I, I have many flaws, but one of my biggest flaws, especially for those of you in New England, is that I'm a Yankees fan. Right. Thank you, Maria. Now, despite that flaw, I want you to hear something. My boys were both born in Boston, raised in New England their entire lives, never lived outside of the Boston area. Boys, what's your favorite baseball team? They're Yankees fans. How did that happen? So, yeah, first of all, I am a great parent. That's an important part of it. But how did that happen, though? Are children shapeable? Yes, they are shapeable. But there's something that I think God is showing us through Jesus' interaction with children. That when you come to Christ, you are not trying to shape him. You are not trying to mold God to fit your life. You are coming to him as a baby, as a child, ready to be shaped. And I think the way that adults so often approach Christ is like this. God, I'm done. I'm a finished work. Just come and bless my things that I'm doing right now. Not, God, that I want to follow you, but I need you to follow me. I will lead, you follow, and you be shaped by me. That's far from the way a baby would come to Jesus. There is a shapeability in that baby. And Jesus is asking each of us, when we come, are we coming to him with hearts that are already mature and done? Or are we coming to him with soft, shapeable hearts that are ready to be molded? When you make your little heart this week, what's going to happen after you leave it out for a few days and a few weeks? Kids, you can answer this. What's going to happen to this? It's going to get hard. It's going to start cracking. Do you understand what happens to the adult heart over time? It gets hardened and it starts cracking. It stops trusting Jesus the way a child would trust him. It starts hardening. Church, I want to ask each of you to think to yourself this morning. Has your heart become hardened to Christ? Is there some place in your life where you are questioning God because he didn't do what I thought he would do? He didn't answer the way I thought he would answer. The people in my life are messed up, and as a result, my heart has become hardened to God as well. Has your heart become hardened? 
And when Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, he's talking about the soft, shapeable heart of a child. How long can an adult hold a grudge? Forever. How long can a baby hold a grudge? Maybe a minute? 30 seconds? This is what Jesus is saying. Come to me like a child with a soft heart. And for some of you this morning, if you find your hearts hardened toward God, today is a chance to reset with God. To say, God, I know I've hardened my heart. I've become cynical about ministry. I've grown cynical about my family. I've grown very hardened about you and what you're doing in my life. God, I want you to come and soften my heart this morning. For many of us, this is the question that we have to answer. Has my heart become hardened? I'm sure you've seen the statistics at some point. Do you know 19 out of 20 people who are Christians in the world became Christians before the age of 25? 19 out of 20. Almost every Christian that you've met became a Christian before the age of 25. Statistically speaking, after the age of 25, it's like this. One in 10,000 will become believers. At 35, one in 50,000 will become believers. At 45, one in 200,000. At 55, one in 300,000. And after the age of 60, it's one in half a million will become a Christian. Why is that? Because of the soft heart of a child. The softness of that heart. And as time passes the heart becomes more and more hardened against God. I want to do things my way, and you need to come and follow me. I can't tell you how often I go through life and I make plans, and I ask God to bless my plans. Do you know why? Because my heart is hardened. Because I don't trust and fully depend on him. So here's what I do instead. Instead of coming to Jesus like he calls me to. And saying, Jesus, you tell me what to do. How to go. How to proceed. What to do for your glory. I make my own plans. And then I say, Jesus, I'm about to go and do this. Come with me. And that's because my heart is hardened. It's because I've lost trust and dependence in him. You see, those who enter God's kingdom, they are shaped by God's kingdom. They're not trying to shape God's kingdom. This morning, I know some of us, especially parents and grandparents, uncles and aunts, some of you who are sitting here right now, you're hearing this and you love to see those little children up in the front, still shapeable, still moldable. And you're thinking, that's not my children. That's not my grandchildren. For some of you, this is the hard truth that my kids who are now grown or adults, there is no room for God in their lives. And I know how hard this must be to even hear this. But even for you, there is a word from God in all of this. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Here's what you are called to do. Regardless of how old and how far your children may be, 
to bring your kids to Christ and keep bringing them to Christ. That there is no such thing as time has run out. That there is still an opportunity for you to pray for your children, to speak to your children, to love your children, to encourage your children and your grandchildren and to lead them into the kingdom of God. And for some of us, that's all the encouragement we needed this morning. In Psalm 71, David, the psalmist, writes like this, that since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your, righteous de your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God. And here's what he wants to do. Till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Are there any places in our lives where we've created a hindrance to our children, our grandchildren, and others around us? Are there places in our lives where we could have brought children to Christ, but we refuse to do it? Maybe there's been this tug on your heart recently that I want to volunteer in the kids' adventure and help out our children's ministry. But you've kept thinking, no, I can't commit to something else. I can't do something else. And so you've allowed that tug to just disappear over time. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Is there a hindrance that we have placed intentionally or unintentionally by the way we live in front of our children, by the words we speak in front of our children? Is there a hindrance that we've placed in front of our children because we prioritize something outside of the gospel way more than the gospel? That we decided that we'll spend our time like this on the weekends instead of with Christ on the weekends. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Here's what Jesus is ultimately saying. In all of the parables we've been studying throughout Luke 18, he says there's one characteristic that ultimately drives a person into the kingdom of God. And that characteristic is humility. When the Pharisee and the tax collector were both praying... It was the humble prayer of the tax collector that was justified before God. When the children are told to go away from Jesus, Jesus says, no, let them come to me because they have humility. They have trust and dependence and they have shapeable hearts. This morning, I want to encourage everyone that's here. If you find yourself distant from God, if you find yourself separated from the love of Jesus this morning, all it takes is for you to come to him. Come to him one more time. To open your heart up and make it a soft heart and say, Lord, I want you to soften my heart toward you. I want you to soften my heart toward my spouse or to my children or to those around me. I want you to soften my heart. And then to see what he does in the middle of that softening process. The kingdom of God belongs to the humble to those who are willing to be shaped by it and not shape it. I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning. In just a minute, our ushers are going to pass around the elements of communion. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been living in obedience to him, I encourage you to grab the cup and the bread that comes around in just a minute. 
And we'll take communion together. But the bigger question that we have to wrestle with this morning is how do we come to Jesus? Do we come to him as a child or are we coming to him like an arrogant adult that already knows and just needs him to follow? How do you come to Christ this morning? Is your heart hardened toward him? Is your heart hardened toward his work and toward his calling upon your life? There's one other thing about a child that we can't overlook. Children have wonder. Children marvel at something that they see. If I take my children to a sporting event, they will marvel at what they're seeing in a giant stadium in a beautiful field. But do you know what their dad does? He looks at his watch and he wonders when he can get out of here to avoid traffic. He looks at the crowd and he thinks, how do I beat this crowd out of here? But when I was a child, I used to marvel too. Something escapes us over time. And Jesus is saying, until you come to me like a child ready to marvel, ready to be filled with wonder at what I'm doing, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. When I often think about Jesus, I'm embarrassed to admit I often overlook the most amazing thing that ever happened in human history. That Jesus would go to the cross and die for my sin. And not only that, that on the third day he would be raised again to life. And you know what I do? I just go to my next thing. Because I've lost my sense of wonder. The wonder of a God who would be willing to die for me, to take my place. And the wonder that his son would come back to life. Because one day I he would defeat death and, and he we would all be resurrected to life again. For some of us sitting here this morning, the wonder has gone. And as our ushers pass around the elements of communion this morning, I want to invite our worship team to come back to the front. On the night before Jesus went to the cross, on the night before he would do the most incredible thing in all of history, the one thing that could save me from sin, to take my place and to die for me, to die for you. On the night before, he took some bread and he had a meal with his disciples. When he took that bread, he blessed it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take it and eat it. And do this in remembrance of me. I want to encourage you all to take the bread at this time. And if there's a place in your heart where the wonder has been gone, the wonder has been taken away, that this is a time for us to wonder 
and to be amazed by what Jesus did on the cross for you and me. Don't allow this moment to be one where you just quickly glance over what Christ did. But you take a minute right now to reflect that Jesus, my heart has been hardened against you. My heart has been hardened because I believe I know what's best for me. And so, Lord, I come before you this morning and I ask forgiveness from that. Soften my heart this morning. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we take of this bread, that we would remember what you did for us, Lord Jesus. That you are willing to have your body broken on our behalf. That you are willing to suffer and die for us. And God, I forget how wonderful that is. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would remind me today. Re return to me the wonder of what you did. Let's take the bread and let's eat it together. In the same way, after they had eaten of the bread, he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. It means that I am doing all things new from here on out. That it's not about the law and how well you memorized it and how well you can debate it. It's about coming to me for your salvation with a trusting and dependent heart. Because my blood washes us of every sin. So he took this cup and he blessed and he gave thanks. And he said, take and do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink of the cup together, remembering the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we come before you this morning and we recognize... That so often we come to you as arrogant adults and not as humble babies. We come to you already having the answers and expecting you to bless our answers. This morning, God, I want to start over with you. I want my heart to reset with you. Lord, I want to start fresh with you. With a soft heart that is ready to be molded and shaped by you. And Jesus, we ask right now for your continued blessings on our children as they go into this world, a world that's hostile to you, that you would bless them with soft hearts to not receive what the world is offering, but to receive what you did on that wondrous cross for us. That salvation comes through you alone, Jesus, and no other name. Help us to be obedient to that, Lord. I pray you'd return the wonder to us, return the awe to us, return the soft heart to us, return the trust and dependence to us. Make us like children this morning, childlike in our faith. We love you, Lord. We praise you, God, and we ask that you would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' loving name we pray, amen. Let's all rise to our feet. And as we sing this song together, the song that says the wonderful cross, let's not overlook that word wonderful, full of wonder is what that song says. Let's sing about that cross this morning and worship him together.